Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios at Old Boy Productions, specialists in the development of video and podcasts just like this one. Today we peek south of the border to our sister city, Seattle. The Emerald City has many of the same issues that we face. A limited land base, rapidly growing population, homelessness, affordability, livability, and rental housing. Seattle also has legacy issues that are different than ours, and they have freeways that cut through and around the city core. And unlike Vancouver, the center of Seattle is primarily business and shopping with very little residential. Seattle City Director of Planning, Samuel Asefa, was in town this week, and we caught up with him at a downtown hotel for a wide-ranging conversation about his city's vision to ensure livability, affordability, and equitability. Now, just before we get to the show, have you heard about the NDP's plan to take control over 4,000 non-government seniors' home care workers? BC seniors and their families were never consulted. Worst of all, it could disrupt services and cost taxpayers up to 25% more. Please visit handsoffmyhomecare.ca and tell your MLA it's time to pause their plan. Now to today's show. Your official role with the City of... The uh, Director of the Office of Planning and Community Development. So how is that different than, let's say, Gil Kelly here in Vancouver? Uh, do you have a much the same role? Pretty much. So my office is actually uh, made into an executive office. It was created by the mayor out of the bigger planning, Department of Planning and Development. So uh, my office doesn't do permit processing, so the day-to-day -day permits. We develop all the policies, the citywide policies on affordability or housing or any zoning, design guidelines, um, comprehensive plan, neighborhood plans. Uh, a lot of the policy objectives are um, coordinated through my office. I also sit on uh, myself and the budget director chair what's called a capital cabinet. These are department heads of about 13, 14 departments that have any impact on the built environment. So how does that help to accelerate or make you more nimble in your decision-making ability? Yeah. Uh, in a city that is experiencing the same problems as Vancouver, and that is explosive growth. Yeah. So one of the reasons that we created this uh, capital cabinet was that all of the decision makers on a lot of the infrastructure issues that need to be aligned in time and in place are in the same room 
they meet monthly, and their staffs work um, in a coordinated fashion as an interdepartmental um, uh, structure so that if uh, the parks department has a capital plan for building a park in a single neighborhood, a certain neighborhood, and the transportation department has a street or a sidewalk plan for that five years later, say, wait, wait, this doesn't make sense. Why don't we bring the sidewalk actually concurrently when the park is being built? Or wait, so you don't tear down the street twice or three times to put public utilities, so the public utility coordination team makes sure that the multiple departments are coordinated so that in time and in place, those investments are coordinated. We're also working on addressing what I mentioned earlier, which is addressing equity issues, mm -hmm. and that each of the departments have to use that lens when they decide on capital investments. So when you when you talked about that, uh, so you talked about the three main areas, affordability, equity, and livability. What do you mean by equitable? So equitable, so the, uh, it first started a few years ago when the city by ordinance passed um, a, a citywide policy that in any investments that are public, when the public invests in the city, it has to take race and social justice lens as a way to determine how best to invest and where to invest. Mm -hmm. What that means is, you are, so there's a racial toolkit. So you, you ask the right questions. How does this affect a certain community because of their color, because of their location, uh, and what are the mitigating uh, mechanisms that the city should take to address that? Or things like, so to give you a concrete example, we, after we put this capital cabinet together uh, three years ago, and from a social justice and uh, perspective, we have the Duwamish Valley in San Francisco, in Seattle. Mm. It happened to be one of the most polluted area with a lot of um, um, brownfield sites. Uh, the health impacts of that has been in the today. Um, communities that live in that area within Seattle have 13 to 15 year less life expectancy compared to the rest of Seattleites. And it's directly associated to the air quality and a lot of the pollutants that they live around, around them. So the Duwamish uh, Valley and the river is where a lot of the industry dump has taken place in a lot of industrial areas. So from a social justice lens perspective, we said we need to target city resources to address uh, environmental health issues that affect this specific community in that area. Mm -hmm. So with the capital cabinet, we said, hey, let's look at a pilot project that touches most departments. So in that area, the public utilities addresses our water and utility, and they were spending hundreds of millions of dollars to clean up and at least, uh, mitigate uh, uh, sea level rise. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're also helping clean up uh, some of the the river. Uh, parks is looking at to build, uh, because they have less access to parks, the community, kids growing up in that area have very little access to parks or outdoor play area, or they don't have access to the river mm -hmm. uh, because the roadway is bad or there's no connection. So we get transportation, parks, public utilities sitting together with myself, the budget director, 
discussing how we address that from an equitable perspective. So we said, okay, we're going to have a Duwamish action plan. We're going to implement that in 16 months. We're going to have uh, identified uh, resources as the plan develops, uh, and we're going to invest in those areas to address health equity issues, access to public spaces, and um, now affordable housing issues. So one of the, so mm -hmm. what means uh, racial equity lens is all of these hundreds of millions of dollars that we invest there are all good, but as soon as those investments take place, you're adding value to the property. Right. Then the guardrails ought to be before that investment is made, then we need to have a leverage where we can actually buy land ahead of time, that it is in a public property, to land bank those places so that the people who are there, who we think we are going to benefit, are not actually uh, conversely unintentionally displaced because... Because now you've seen the rise in land value. And it's attractive and speculation starts and then they, people who live there can't afford it. So we're looking at ways how to empower uh, and build their capacity to build affordable housing or to um, retain the cultural facility that they have. Right. In so that would, area. That, would that be independent of a strategy to address homelessness? Because your homelessness uh, challenges, I think, supersede ours. Uh, probably does. You've yeah. got more than 11,000 people who are homeless in the city of Seattle. So the 11,000 right? are actually not not homeless every day. At one point during the year, they experienced that. The actual number is close to 4,000 or so. They're on the street on a daily basis. On the street. So we have a whole separate program uh, similar to the capital uh, cabinet that I mentioned. The current mayor <clears throat> put together actually five different cabinets around her policy issues. One of them is the homelessness um, uh, sub-cabinet. They are charged uh, to addressing um, uh, homelessness issues, uh, it's one of the most difficult issues. Actually, we've learned from Vancouver as well. Addressing you have learned from Vancouver. Absolutely. What would be some of, what would so be some of those my lessons? My previous mm -hmm. bosses came here to learn about how you treat um, uh, sort of, um, uh, chemical addiction mm -hmm. and, um, and how we need to address um, uh, those different in a different way. So uh, navigation centers have been built in the city that you bring those people and you have different kind of um, trained people who work with them. Under the harm reduction umbrella then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the other one is we're focusing now and the most important thing is bridge housing. Basically, can we create temporary housing until a permanent housing is uh, created down the road to take a lot of uh, single women homeless or women with children by building and commissioning um, uh, these tiny houses so that they're right. temporary structures, they're better than tents and being on the street, but they have a little bit of more dignity. So we identified a number of areas citywide where uh, those kinds of encampments can happen, but they're monitored. Um, and the challenge is huge. Actually, in the last year, we've uh, seen a reduction 
uh, which as is really a result encouraging. of your policies? Part of it is because of the policies, yeah. Uh, so from a city perspective, like from the outside, I look at, at Seattle and go, oh my gosh, you are a world-class city. You have enormous international corporations, yes. just, just na not just national, but international. And yet you have this massive homeless uh, issue. Why is it important from the perspective of a city that we address homelessness? And, and because I think fundamentally we have to, but there are a lot of people going, ah, why is it, you know, that's the wrong focus. But, but if we're going to build out and, and look after all those other issues, if we don't look after that, how on earth then do we come back to having a livable city? So I think for two reasons. One is sort of share, uh, we're a civilized nation, and it is shameful that we actually don't have a mechanism to address that or at least consider that an important uh, social justice issue. It's just simple as that. The second part, I think most importantly, is it's not good for the economy. It's just not. And, and you have significant amount of investment that we are trying to attract, and you have people uh, doing all kinds of stuff in the public right of way and using a public space uh, for their encampment, that is not good for business. Well, and they're disenfranchised from society as well, aren't they? They are, again, I have to be careful how I yes. define it because there are multiple layers within that, sort of mm -hmm. what we call homeless. You know, there's a whole group that are mentally sick yes. and, and they're helpless. I mean, they need to be, we need to have a, a different kind of mechanism to address that. There are people who are uh, substance abusers and or addiction, and the opioid crisis mm -hmm. is huge, and I think it's in Vancouver as well. And then there's those who I talked about, sort of the working poor, who are just one paycheck away from becoming homeless. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are working in homeless um, uh, shelters who themselves became homeless because mm -hmm. uh, I think I gave that stat where right, King yeah. County did, you know, 5% increase. Takes almost 250, 260 people, working people today. And they live there, the they become, or, or they live in their cars. Well, I talked to uh, one of the people who's in charge of public safety in, in one of the communities here in Vancouver, yeah. and he was saying, you know, we wind up, especially in the better uh, weather months, yeah. where people who are working yeah. say, I can't afford that rent, but I can afford a tent. Yeah. And they're not necessarily a problem, but they're camping out on public land. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not giving them dignity. It's not giving them an opportunity to build towards any kind of equity. And as a result, they don't have the same buy-in to a society as a whole because you're, you're disconnected from it. So, you know, if we are citizens and, and we have a responsibility to yeah. give back to the, the, the republic in which we live, yeah. uh, well, then we need to have some ownership in it as well. And I think that it's fundamentally important that we address it. And I know that you're, you've, you've got a variety of things that you're doing. But l let's just move on to, you, you know, the city of Seattle also has the same challenge around our rental, or it did. Uh, and you addressed it. How did you speed up rental development to help address some of those problems for people who maybe were not in a position to afford to buy? So I think it's actually the city has less to do with that than the market really? itself. Absolutely. Well, because we keep yeah. hearing that, oh, no, 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 it's the permitting process, you don't have rent controls. There's a variety of other things that you've done that's, that has helped to support uh, the development of rental housing. That is true. The rent control, uh, it's not the city, it's the state. Yeah. Uh, you just can't do that. 
in the private uh, production part of it, our efforts that uh, uh, paid off is really encouraging more production because we need the supply. I don't care if it is rental or strata, mm -hmm. as you call it here. Uh, we focused over the last three years that we need to address the supply issue and in any form. Uh, and, and then we also need to make the permitting process more expedited, regardless of rent or condo. So we didn't specifically say, hey, we're going to encourage rental. I think as I uh, mentioned, we have a different um, uh, uh, entitlement process, but also the fact that our issue more is lack of home ownership, not lack of rental mm -hmm. units. Uh, and it's the market that determines it. When you were talking about that, I was thinking, yes. because I, occasionally I hear people say, well, we don't have rental buildings because we have so many condos that individual owners turn around and then they rent. Uh, and no. But they, in doing so, are building some equity for themselves yeah, by yeah. being an owner. And so this is a good good thing, but you haven't had that in the past. We haven't because uh, it's some of it, uh, I think, a more recent phenomenon. And I, as I mentioned, after the 2008 crash, um, there are hardly any lenders who are lending for condo, whether you have this other, you know, Colorado and uh, Washington have the construction defect law, which makes it even harder. Uh, there were banks were not lending. Mm -hmm. And then what happened in, San in Seattle is we are getting an influx of significant number of people moving in. At one time in a year, two years ago, we had about almost a thousand people a week who were moving into Seattle. And most of them are coming from uh, out of the country, certainly, but from Silicon Valley and San Francisco because Seattle is becoming more attractive. The talent is there, the businesses came there because they started right. following the talent, but most of them are looking to rent immediately, and some of them are buy. So the rental market was very, very hot. It was a lot more attractive. As those people were starting to settle into life in Seattle, yep. and then do yep. then did they in turn then start to put pressure on the home sales and new home construction markets? Well, the demand is there, and we noticed it over the last uh, four, five, six years, it's cooled down now. Whenever any condo comes out on the market, there will be 15, 20 people bidding for it and up bidding. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that has calmed down now, uh, just in the last year. Uh, even the rent toll has come down and the supply is getting to catch up to a certain extent. Uh, but our production rates in terms of, uh, you know, comparative cities is pretty high. I forgot how many Vancouver produced this year and that year. I don't know the numbers, but 2018 we had almost 9,000 units of uh, housing, 90% of them rental, mm -hmm. uh, because that's what the market provides, uh, off the ground. That is pretty large for a city of 730,000. Compare that to San Francisco, city of 900,000, they produced 1,600 units in 2018, mm -hmm. 1,600 units they actually have more demand for housing than we do uh, and, and there's oh yeah their challenges are even bigger it is bigger and and uh, 
we're getting there. I think San Francisco, Seattle, and New York now are becoming one of the most expensive. So did you have some of the same issues that we had with foreign capital? In, in the, there was a flight of capital out of China, we all know, for uh, about a four or five year period. And Vancouver was one of the cities that was targeted, and I heard about Seattle. And what impact did that have on your housing market as far as uh, uh, prices are concerned or value? And what kinds of pressures did it put on the city to respond to it? So the, there's no clear evidence that it has significant impact, but there were anecdotal evidence, you know, coming up oh, about three years ago and two years ago, especially after Vancouver instituted the foreign um, buyers tax, buyers tax yeah. um, and there was a fear, and there was some signs actually people uh, Seattle was becoming more attractive, and we've seen a few developments that may have been built. Um, as a result of that and we actually looked at you know hey we need to be ready and let's look at uh, these policies the the pressure we had was from the public hey we don't want that to happen here what kind of guardrails should we put and we actually looked at whether or not it makes sense to have foreign tax but we have a slightly different government system including the federal mm -hmm. government as cities or municipalities or even states cannot institute tax on a foreign entity, only Congress can, can do that. That is one. And the other one, I think, for Seattle is you're getting to a very tricky territory. Now you're going to start thinking about, you know, who lives here and who owns that based on race and, and ethnicity or foreign uh, or nationality. That then starts getting on the edge of violating civil rights. Right, and consider that you have international corporations who are going to well, say, yeah, yeah. well, hang on a second, I need to bring people in from around the world. Um, well, it's fine yeah. to bring the people around the world. It's an issue, I think, what you're mentioning, which is, uh, you know, a lot of the challenge that yeah. uh, Vancouver had uh, is money being used to park in condos that are right. taking space <clears throat> but but not addressing uh, to a certain extent issue. the housing issues uh, if they're not being occupied and so then the discussion started uh, we said hey let's is there anything that we can do that conversation is still going on with mm -hmm. some council members but just go back and answer your question we don't have any significant evidence that that impact is actually uh, happening but I would imagine um, when it was being difficult, uh, when it's getting difficult here, Seattle is not that different from Vancouver in terms of its attractiveness, natural features, and then now a significant concentration of talent there. Um, so you can anticipate, and, and the demand is there, uh, but it's a tricky issue for us in terms of how we address that. Right. Um, and a limitation as well, what kind of, um, uh, uh, policies you can institute for, um, you know, private citizens to keep their units empty. But right. council has asked questions, you know, can some council members have asked questions, should we uh, put you know, tax on um, units that are sitting empty? So let's switch to transportation because I know that you're tearing down the waterfront uh, freeway. Um, I, 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 we're seeing kind of this move away from freeways into cities. But what does that do about your ability to move the hundreds of thousands of people that are coming in and out of the city every day? Because I believe that you have 500,000 people who work right in downtown Seattle who don't 
necessarily live there, yeah. but they've got to come in and out. Yeah. How do you plan for transportation now yeah. and into the future, yeah. keeping in mind the livability and yeah. affordability of a city? Yeah. I think that's one of the most important issues that we need to address in, in a parallel to um, uh, housing issues uh, for two reasons. One is the issue that you're talking about in terms of congestion and, and, and you, need, you need people to get in and out. It's not only people for us, it's goods, deliveries are taking off. Emergency so services also emergency have to be able to respond. Services yes. get impacted. Yeah. We have a very robust maritime industry cargo movement within the city is very, very important. The debate is, took about 20, 25 years for bringing down the Alaska Freeway, mm -hmm. a double-decker um, uh, that carries almost 90,000 cars a day. And we prepared for almost two years when the time came to close down the uh, uh, viaduct and open up the tunnel. The mitigation, so the middle ground that was um, agreed upon on that specific issue is initially the debate was, do we even need to replace it? Mm -hmm. Let's get rid of the freeway and does it need to be replaced? There were two camps. One camp was more sustainable. We don't need to dedicate that much right away for cars. We need to make it harder for people who drive. And then the other camp was, well, we still need to address that and how about doing a tunnel? So mm -hmm. the tunnel part of it is what is implemented. Now that tunnel um, is now, as of yesterday or the day before, our stat shows it is beginning to carry the same amount of traffic, as traffic well. uh, but uh, it's actually improved for significant neighborhoods, how they get in and out from outside of the city. Mm -hmm. It has made significant improvement for them. But the bigger issue there is uh, technology is changing, how we move around is changing, uh, autonomous vehicles are, are here already, and we have to incorporate all of those in the decisions that we make, both in the private and public sector. In Seattle, what we're debating is, one, we're dedicating this right away for private auto. That is not sustainable. That is just not sustainable. You're mm -hmm. not going to continue to function the way you're functioning if you continuously have people uh, using private mm. uh, uh, auto. I think, uh, and I have to look at the stats, Vancouver is actually better uh, than us. We, but for the downtown, I think almost 70% of the people who work downtown actually take alternative modes of transportation, uh, bike, walk, transit. Right. But there is significant problem in congestion. When you look at it statistically during the day, it's uh, you know the rush hours are the worst then you have this significant amount of public right-of-way just sitting there in one of the most expensive areas in the country right so we then have to take that lens of what are we dedicating our um, scarce resources to uh, yes the ec economy of the workers who are coming in is important I think it's more important for the cost of living for those people they think I mean, well some of them you know drive for two hours um, and and that's costly the yes. hours the time uh, and the rent may be cheaper there but when you add that up it has significant cost it has more cost for the service industry you know people who are working in the hotels and and the firemen and the firewomen it's much harder for them because that transportation is costly as well uh, and 
So for the first time, I think we're trying to catch up with the public Trans making it easier to have public transportation. Right. Uh, the way that uh, our city, I think, like TransLink, the state manages our light rail system, the county manages our buses, and the city collaborates with them. And for the first time in Seattle's history, actually, for the last three years, we put together an executive board, which I sit on it, the planning director, the transportation director from the city of Seattle, a director of the Sound Transit from the state and the King County Metro. And now we added the port and WashDOT is the highway uh, so that we collectively come up with a vision on how we use our public right-of-way in, in the greater downtown area as we anticipate a lot of these issues about um, mobility issues, right. how we coordinate um, to create the incentives to take alternative modes to a certain extent, also um, make it harder for people to take. So you want to get them out of their car. <laughs> we want to get them out of their car. We want to get them out of uh, a single car versus right. uh, so. shared, shared driving. What are lessons that you are learning from Vancouver, and what are uh, insights that you can provide to Vancouver? So the lessons, I think, uh, I've actually studied Vancouver for many years, and I've used lessons here to implement in San Francisco and in, um, in uh, Chicago. So some of the policies that the city has implemented in terms of the downtown and has, how, as we grow taller buildings, to make sure that the ground floor has the right amenities, and, and in some cases, schools, uh, in some cases, retail, and the, sort of the human scale characteristics of these high density buildings uh, respond to human scale on the ground floor. Uh, light and air, in and so those kinds of policies are actually literally uh, copied and pasted. And, and when we implemented, uh, when I was in San Francisco and trying to get the San Francisco downtown to encourage more residential, and we put together policies very similar to Vancouver. So we have slightly th smaller footprint, uh, light and air on the streets, um, and San Francisco at the time did not have uh, a culture of people living in downtown because we had uh, very restrictive zoning. So yeah. we got rid of that. I did the same in Chicago, uh, for example, that it's fine. You have the same floor area ratio and people are fearful of height. If it's taller, it must be bad. No, it's, if it's fat and tall, it's bad. If it's skinny, half the size and tall after a certain height. So those, and a lot of sort of the public realm uh, focus uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in Vancouver, the public spaces, um, we have a big challenge in elementary schools and schools within the downtown area. I think those amenities should be uh, 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 things that we can learn uh, from Vancouver. I think some of the work that the planning department is doing, I looked at some of the right. targeted housing policies uh, and even targeting kind of the middle, trying to create incentives. We're just sort of beginning to do that. After we got mm -hmm. done with the more affordable part of it, now we're focusing on the middle. And we're looking at and discussing with Gil and others how <laughs> yeah. we could learn uh, okay. what's working, so that's what's from not him. working. What can you offer back that, so, uh, that we could benefit from? Yeah, so some of it is, uh, I think uh, we're working through it, it's sort of being cognizant of that some of the regulatory issues that we impose it actually adds costs at the end that then is transferred to the very people that we want to help. So we need to understand, and I think 
and we're asking that question in Seattle. And how does how do you you know people uh, figure out how what government does does not get in the way of uh, a public good at the end of that process? So that's a cautionary note. Not here, do this and it'll work out. Yeah, well, but it's like be careful of unintended consequences of those kind of uh, very restrictive uh, regulatory uh, measures. The other is, um, I think I mentioned around sort of this equity lens, and the reason I'm saying it is Seattle has been leading the way in that, uh, at least, you know, uh, trying to explore what it means. Uh, a lot of cities now are picking up, at least in the U.S., uh, I, I'm part of this um, a big city planning directors institute, that, uh, the Lincoln Institute and Harvard yeah. run. Yeah, as we compare notes there, it was really interesting and in how many people say, Sam, we copied your housing affordability <laughs> agenda program and pasted it there. So that, the, the questions right. are, what I say, look at it and then figure out how that really applies to the unique conditions here. And I'd love to talk to you for the next hour. Same I think that, that your insights are valuable because of your experience in, in major cities in the United States. And I think that it's important that you have such a strong relationship with Gil Kelly here in, yes. uh, in Vancouver. Thank you ever so much. Thank <laughs> you. Say, I'm brimming with more questions, but thank, thank, you, for, you. thank you for doing this. Thank I really you very appreciate much. it. Appreciate it okay. as well. Thanks. Well, that wraps up today's show. Now, just before I sign off, I want to encourage you to take in a couple of other Vancouver Sun and Province podcasts. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to know about the Vancouver Canucks. And for all you news junkies and all things political in Victoria, you're also going to want to tune into In the House, hosted by Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. So thank you for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, thevancouversun.com and theprovince.com and on the Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel. And be sure to subscribe because you won't want to miss an episode. As well, I want to acknowledge Arnold Chang, Greta Gibson and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible. What a great team. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm -hmm.